Welcome to the Practical Futurist Podcast, a bi-weekly show all about the near-term future with practical advice from a range of global experts to help you stay ahead of the curve. Every episode answers the question, what's the future of? With voices and opinions that need to be heard. Your host is international keynote speaker and practical futurist, Andrew Grill. Welcome to Series 2, Episode 8 of the Practical Futurist Podcast. Today's guest all the way from Brisbane, Australia, is James Cridlin, the editor of the leading source of podcast news, podnews.net. With over 28 years in the radio and online business, in 2005, James helped launch the first daily podcast from a UK radio station and the world's first radio station streaming app. He offers a truly international view as a Brit living in Australia, working for companies across the world, including North America. He's also a keynote speaker and consultant and wrote his first podcast RSS feed in January 2005 and also launched the first live radio streaming app for mobile phones in the same year. Importantly, he's worked in the audio industry since 1989. Welcome, James. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we only spoke last week as you're a guest on the podcast festival, a joint production with my podcasting buddies, Minta Dahl and Sam Sethi. That was a live show with viewer questions thrown in and a producer in my ear. This week is a pre-record, so we'll move it at a bit slower pace, if that's okay. Yeah, no, that's absolutely fine. I'm glad you said that. Look, I feel like we're on an exchange program. You're a Brit in Australia. I'm an Aussie in London. What's it like in Australia at the moment? I hear a lot of the lockdown restrictions are lifting. Yeah, so they're beginning to lift. I mean, we can't, uh, so I'm in Queensland. We can't go anywhere in Queensland. Uh, we're not allowed to leave leave our great state, although our state, frankly, is big enough. So that's all okay. But uh, yeah, things are beginning to um, beginning to relax. Um I'm not quite sure what the latest figures were, but certainly we we've had you know one case, one coronavirus case in the last uh, you know week or so uh, here in Queensland. So you know we're doing we're doing pretty well, rather better than you guys, I think. And your site, podnews.net, which I encourage everyone to sign up for the daily newsletter, have you seen an increase in traffic? Is, is podcasting um, you know, thriving during this pandemic? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly been an increase in the amount of people getting it, which is nice, and the amount of people um, you know, using it. But I mean, obviously, there's been an increase in podcasting as well. So actually, in uh, May, we saw a new record for the amount of podcasts launched, 96,500 um so you know you can clearly see and yes some of that is going to be due to coronavirus and the fact that you can launch a podcast if you're at home and you might you might be a bit you know bored or whatever um but i think also part of that is just because podcasting is actually growing and quite a lot of those were going to launch anyway um so you know a tremendous amount of uh, growth there and certainly the podcast hosts that i'm talking to they're saying that there's a significant increase in the amount of um you know in the amount of people signing up and the amount of support calls that they're having and everything else which is uh, all bodes uh, good i think for where we're going now you are the podcasting stat guru and we'll talk about that in a minute but um what what number of these podcasts will sort of sort of survive i mean lots of starting up because people in their bedrooms when they go back to work and things lift you think there'll be some longevity what's the sort of half-life of a podcast series yeah i think that's going to be interesting isn't it i mean quite a lot of podcasts don't last 
particularly long. It it, uh, it has to be said, um, and you know that may be by design. Um, it may be because people you know realize that actually producing great audio is quite difficult, um, and uh, you know, and so therefore they can't necessarily work too hard on that. Uh, I mean, if you have a look at the amount of um, at the amount of active uh, podcasts, there are well, there are one point one million podcasts in Apple Podcasts. And about half of those are active. So that means that they've published one episode in the past 90 days. So about half of them are active, about half of them are inactive. And that's, uh, I think, actually pretty good in terms of, you know, the longevity of podcasting, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, half a million are still being currently made, you know, that that's uh, that's uh, quite a thing, I think. I was often asked, is podcasting the new blogging? And you've been around probably as long as I have online. Um, do, do you think that people are now saying, well, it's, lo- it's, it's not simple to do a great audio show, but you can actually set something up and, uh, and get your news and thoughts out there. But is, is podcasting the new blogging? Um, I don't think think so i mean uh, and you know it's it's interesting i was talking to i was talking to turkish television last night and you know and they were saying you know uh, is podcasting growing and i think one of the interesting things around podcasting it's been going for 15 years um but it's been a slow and steady growth every single year so every single year it's been getting bigger um but what podcasting hasn't been is it hasn't been you know a myspace or a Bebo, or a Vine, it hasn't, you know, uh, dramatically, um, you know, increased, and then all of a sudden, di- disappeared again. Uh, and blogging, arguably, was a bit like that. You know, there was a, a tremendous um, couple of years where everybody had a blog, and then realised that very few people were actually reading them. Um, and so, therefore, the amount of blogs in the world have gone down. And obviously, Facebook has has um, come around as well. Um, and I think, you know, podcasting is different in that it has just been slowly and steadily growing. And that's probably good news, I think. So your own service, podnews.net, um, what was the idea behind it? And do you th- why do you think there was a gap in the market for what you offer? Yeah. So, I mean, um, uh, I was in a pub in uh, L- Los Angeles um, and uh, I was at uh, one of these worldwide radio conferences. It's one of those um, uh, American things where they invite two foreign people and they call it worldwide. Um, and uh, so I was there chatting with uh, an American friend and he was saying, where do you go to find news about podcasting? And I suddenly thought, you know, I've been running a uh, a radio trends newsletter for many years now, and I suddenly thought, well, that's a good question because the the there was at the time there was one weekly newsletter, and that weekly newsletter, um, you know, it's a great newsletter. It's still going now, but it really very much focuses on the U.S. It focuses on public radio. It focuses on you know a very small part of what podcasting is. And I thought to myself, as a Brit. Um, as one that's moved to Australia, um, as one that's worked in Canada, worked in the US, um, it's probably, you know, there's probably an opportunity there for something which is um, a quick, you know, overview of what's going on in the podcasting landscape, but one which looks at the podcasting landscape from a much broader view than just having a look at what's coming out of New York and 
Washington. You know, um, you know, I, I think I think uh, being able to also look at what's coming out of the Middle East and India and the Chinese podcast industry and all of that is fascinating as well because that can actually help us. Uh, understand what we should be doing more. So that was basically the idea. Um, and at the end of May 2017, uh, I started uh, doing it and uh, really played around with the workflow, um, working out how I could uh, produce a product, what that product would be, what people actually click on, um, how I could produce it. And uh, yeah, and I've been doing it every single day um, partially by mistake, but every single day uh, since uh, then, really. So, um, yeah, it's been going okay, I think. Well, I was going to ask you about the workflow because for those that haven't signed up yet, um, you get amazing news stories. I'd love to know where you get the stories from in the first place. And accompanying that is a spoken word, if you like, headline. It's a two- or three-minute uh, shot, I suppose, and that comes back to your radio background. So you can get it both ways. And often I get the, the podcast feed, so I may not always listen to the audio, but I look at the show notes and I go back to the website. But how do you organize your workflow to do a daily newsletter and a daily record and publish? I suppose one of the things that I'm very lucky at being able to do is that I um, – I do the tech as well. So I actually, I've written the code that produces the website um, as well as, you know, being the journalist that goes and gets the, the news stories. And the reason why that's important is that literally everything, the way that the website works, the way that I put the information in um, is all designed to save me as much time as possible because, you know, I still have other jobs. I'm still a, a radio uh, consultant. I still um, go, you know, I fly around the world talking at radio conferences. Uh, not that much at the moment, it has to be said, but still. Um, and, uh, and so therefore, I needed to make sure that it was something that I could continue doing, even if I was busy doing, uh, doing uh, other things as well. So one example of that is there's a bit in the newsletter, which is all about new uh, podcasts. And there's you know, um, a little image there and there's a link to, um, to that podcast and a bit more information about it. The image, as one example, appears automatically because my code has worked out, ah, oh, I'm talking about a podcast. I know where to get this particular image, you know, blah, blah, blah. So there's a lot of that, um, of that sort of careful, you know, automation uh, in there just to make it easier and quicker to produce something. But having said that, you know, I'm doing an awful lot of reading. I'm um, I'm uh, quite active in many of the podcasting communities across the internet, places like Reddit and, um, and Facebook and stuff like that. Um, and of course, I know how RSS feeds work, which is always handy. Um, my RSS reader is my friend, and I get an awful lot of information out of that. Uh, you know, so that's uh, that's a really useful uh, tool as well. And it's interesting how many places still have RSS feeds, which are there, which are available, um, which uh, you know really helps keep me up to date with a bunch of you know interesting news that you that, uh, you know, otherwise pass uh, other people by. We talked about this last week on the podcasting festival, the whole RSS. RSS, for those listening, stands for really simple syndication. And years ago, it was just used as that what, XML markup to get blog posts out there. And it's been the cornerstone of, of podcasting. 
But we did talk last week, and we might talk here a bit more about whether it needs to change, what's available now, and in a standard that's probably, what, 15 years old, maybe it may be older, and, and what does it need to evolve to to allow monetization, show notes, all those sort of things? And Apple seemed to be leading the charge and, and sort of forcing the standardization. Is, is that fair? Yeah, I think that is. I mean, so, you know, RSS um, as a thing, and I love how it's called really simple syndication and it's anything but, um, but uh, as a thing, it it was uh, thought up by a chap from Microsoft and a man called Dave Weiner, um, really built to, um, you know, to move data from one place to another. Um, and then Adam Curry, who was an MTV uh, DJ at the time, if you remember back when MTV actually played music, um, uh, he ended up uh, thinking, wouldn't it be a clever idea if you could also uh, link to files through this? Um, he was thinking about it from, to be honest, from pirating uh, TV shows. But actually, it turned out that it was a really handy way of, um, uh, of you know, doing podcasts as well doing pieces of uh, pieces of audio um and uh you know so that sort of started going steve jobs or somebody at apple thought well this is interesting because this is a way of keeping people using the ipod keeping people you know uh picking up that device every single day if they can get lots of content on there lots of free content on there that we apple don't have to pay for um, why don't we put podcasts into iTunes um, so that uh, it will automatically stick new content uh, onto the iPod? And that's basically why Apple jumped in um, and um, why, you know, Apple wanted to make it look a little bit nicer, work a little bit better. And so quite a lot of the ideas behind a podcast, the fact that you have a category, the fact that you have an image, uh, the fact that that image is square and should be uh, anywhere between 3,000 uh, to 1,400 uh, pixels wide. Uh, all of that stuff was basically Apple wanting to make podcasting look a little bit nicer on their devices. Um, and Apple has really been driving those sorts of uh, standards ever since. So making sure that the categories are correct, making sure that, you know, uh, you can now mark things as a serial podcast or as an episodic podcast, you know, and all of that sort of uh, thing is all basically Apple's, um, Apple's ideas. So that's been really helpful. But also that means, you know, conversely, that if you want to, come up with a new idea around podcasting if you want to add a donate button for example then you've got to convince somebody at apple because apple has 65 percent of the market um, so it's good news in that, that we, we've had a strong leader it's also potentially bad news because actually um, you know a benevolent dictator is, I believe, the phrase that some people use. Um, you know, they've been really good for us, but they've also, you know, basically told uh, the podcasting world what we should be doing. Um, and, you know, it would be, I think, useful if there was uh, a couple of challenges to, um, to uh, Apple. And currently not really seeing too much of that, but uh, Spotify is beginning to grow, which is certainly helpful. You mentioned the S word, which was helpful segue. Um, 
not much competition from anyone else. That's a fairly bold statement. I thought some of your stats said that Spotify sometimes had overtaken Apple. What's the the latest with Spotify and, and can they be a real challenger for Apple? Well, so the latest with Spotify and actually the latest as as uh, as we speak, I'm busy putting together pod news uh, for what I call tonight, what uh, you will call this, this uh, morning. Uh, and one of the things that... Uh, Pod News is reporting on is that um, in Canada, uh, when you look at younger audiences, then Spotify is in the lead in terms of podcast use. Um, so Apple, and you would kind of, you know, this sounds a bit like common sense. You know, the older folk um, who have more money are using the more expensive uh, hardware which is Apple hardware and therefore Apple podcasts. And, um, you know, and so therefore, you know, students and, and uh, young folk who are spending their money on other things um, are probably using uh, cheaper Android phones and using uh, Spotify. Um, so, uh, but if you look at it from, um, uh, if you look at it from the whole world, you can see that depending on who you talk to, either Spotify has about a 10% market share or depending on who else is working those those um, uh, numbers out, um, Spotify is partially in the lead in some countries, but not in others. And certainly in the US, you know, Apple remains the market leader. Um, I mean, I think, you know, again, you can have a look at podcast consumption in many different ways. You know, you can have a look at, um, uh, you can have a look at per download, you can have a look at per user. Um, and my suspicion is, having looked through my stats, because I host my own podcast as well, my suspicion is that if you have a look at it per download, then Apple is still very much in the lead. But if you have a look at it um, per user, per unique user, then actually Spotify is quite high in there. So Spotify users listen to less podcasts, but perhaps there are more of them. Um, so, you know, interesting times, I think, but having said that, you know, Spotify is still quite small. Google should be the, um, the third, uh, largest podcast app. Maybe it, uh, is by now, but it's only about 2% of all, of all downloads. It's still doing, you know, very, very small numbers. Um, my suspicion is that it's going to grow quite fast. They've now got an, uh, an Apple, um, app as well as an Android app. Um, uh, Google Podcasts is appearing in all kinds of searches as well. So my suspicion is that uh, you know it should do pretty well. But what we really need, ideally, for the industry is we need Apple and Spotify and Google to all have about 25% market share and everybody else crowding around for the remainder. And I think that would probably be good news for, for uh, all of us, I think. Now, if you look at why Spotify added podcasts, similar to what Apple did around the standards, they wanted things to work their way. And if you've already got a subscription to Spotify, this is another reason to keep using the app. You wrote a really interesting article on Medium a few weeks ago about Joe Rogan's move to Spotify. And there you muse that, you know, does this threaten an open ecosystem for podcasting because Spotify essentially are buying an audience? But you also said, do we actually have an open ecosystem to defend? This, this whole buying podcast shows... Is this an inflection point for podcasting? And do you think we'll see more of these platform deals? Oh, I think it's very interesting. And I think certainly if you take Joe Rogan, which is um, the biggest podcast in the world um, by uh, any of the data that I've seen, Joe uh, himself talks about 190 million 
downloads per month. I'm not quite sure um, what that figure really is, but nevertheless, if you look, you know, again, let's have a look in in, uh, Canada. Uh, One out of five of every podcast listener in Canada has listened to the Joe Rogan experience at least once. Um, which is a massive uh, number. So if you were to take all of Canada and put every single person who's listened to the Joe Rogan experience uh, into a city, you would get a city as big as as Vancouver. You know, it's a it's a tremendously popular thing. So if a lot of people follow uh, Joe Rogan over um, from their current podcast app into Spotify, then Spotify will be, you know, very, very pleased. They can serve um, ads against those people. They can hopefully uh, sign them up for a subscription because I think it's worthwhile pointing out Joe Rogan will still be free, um, but you will need to sign up for an account. But uh, it, it, it's still free to uh, to have a listen on uh, Spotify. You'll just get ads on there instead. Um, so I think from that point of view, that's going to be really interesting. Um, it's going to be interesting seeing how many people stick with him. You know, if you've been watching him on YouTube, you won't be able to anymore. If you've been listening on the Apple podcast app, you won't be able to anymore. Um, and so how many people will, uh, stop listening to that podcast and what will that mean to the, uh, you know, to that particular show? I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's certainly interesting times and it's certainly not the first as well. Uh, Spotify has, uh, jumped in and used a bunch of these, uh, tools in the past, uh, um, to grab as many interesting podcasts as they possibly could. So all of Parcast stuff, a lot from, uh, Gimlet is now, um, produced, uh, exclusively for, uh, Spotify last podcast on the left is I believe another one, you know, and so on and so forth. So my suspicion is that we'll see rather a lot more than that. Um, I I'm, I'm, don't know whether Apple will follow. Uh, my thoughts around Apple is that actually, if Apple were being clever, they would uh, start being friends to podcasters by allowing podcasters to sell podcasts through the Apple Store, um, which would be really interesting because if the only place where I could buy this particular podcast that I really liked was through Apple Podcasts, then that would be, you know, just as powerful, if not possibly more powerful, um, than uh, Spotify's current, uh, you know, activity. So, you know, we'll wait to see what happens there. I guess it's a really good uh, idea. And if anyone from Apple's listening, uh, hopefully they'll will look at that. Now, you and I have been around the mobile space probably around the same time when operators decided to have their walled gardens. Isn't what Spotify are doing, and if Apple follows them, a similar thing? It's just another walled garden, and we can only get podcasts we like from platforms, and you then don't have that open ecosystem, and it just all gets a bit messy. Yes, I mean that—that's what the definition of an open, you know, of a walled garden is, and therefore that's why uh, people are concerned about the being an open podcast ecosystem. Um, typically, if you look at most apps, you can type in an RSS address and it will subscribe you to that podcast. So as one example, Alex Jones, uh, the conspiracy theorist, is not available on Apple Podcasts because he talks nonsense. Um, So they took him off. Um, But that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't listen through Apple Podcasts. You just have to know what the RSS feed is for his podcast. Uh, And then you can get get his podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Overcast, on a number of these different uh, services. Having said that, 
No one does that. Um, the way that most people will listen to a podcast is they will search for it in the directory on their podcast app, and then they will hit a subscribe button. And the directory for virtually everyone, with the exception of Spotify and Stitcher and a few others, the directory um, uh, from virtually everybody is controlled by Apple, is run by Apple, because Apple very cleverly worked out... Um, that they should have an API, and their API would allow anyone to go and grab information about podcasts and stick it into their own podcast app. The API is really there to help them sell music in the iTunes Music Store, um, but ne nevertheless, it's certainly it's certainly there for podcast information. Um, and so, actually, you know, Apple is running a surprising amount of the podcast directories out there. So even if you're using Pocket Casts because you don't like Apple very much, um, that directory um, almost entirely is coming directly from Apple. And once Alex Jones gets pulled out, Alex Jones is probably pulled out of all of those as well. Um, so I think that's what the concern is around the Inverticomas open ecosystem. But I don't think actually that most people use, you know, um, RSS feeds by typing them in, you know, directly into a podcast app. I don't think that's really that's really the way that most people will actually, you know, find a new a new show or certainly tune into one. So discoverability becomes the real issue, and you're right with Apple. And I think part of it is because they have humans that verify the the podcast feed. You would know when you put your first uh, episode up, a human at Apple listens to it to make sure not, we're not being silly and, and uh, rude, and uh, it gets verified. And I think others just don't do that. But that means there are now a proliferation of these directories, and, and in a way, Pod News is a directory of sorts. Pod Chaser, we had Bradley Davis on the podcast festival last week. They run a, an aggregation service. Um, who, who's going to win out of these and, and how do you monetize those sort of platforms? Well, that's a great question. So, I mean, you know, there's a, there's a, a podcast directory called Listen Notes, which um, uh, the bloke that runs it is uh, selling access uh, to that if you're a developer and you want to do fun things with it. Um, which is, you know, which is neat. Blueberry has had one of those for, uh, for uh, some time now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, is there a business in running an alternative podcast directory? I don't know. If, if Apple's giving one away for free, um, and Apple theoretically at least is doing a bit of um, a bit of editorial uh, curation. I'm not entirely convinced that anybody from Apple actually has a listen. By the way, I think it's rather, rather, rather more a piece of technical uh, checking rather than uh, rather than uh, human beings having, uh, you know, having a listen. But n nevertheless, if Apple's going to give all of that away for free. Then that's how you make a monopoly, isn't it? So, you know, so nobody else is really going to be able to get in there. And even if you have a look at at, at uh, Podchaser, Podchaser takes a lot of its initial information from the Apple uh, directory. Um, because again, it's a way of finding new shows and new, uh, you know, the new stuff which is available. So, you know, I think I think we we you know we have to be careful there. What um, uh, the reason why Pod News has a list of uh, a bunch of podcasts is purely because I wanted to be able to link in a neutral way to where to listen to a podcast. That was basically the the uh, the uh, starting point there 
Uh, I use an Android phone. I don't use an Apple phone to have a listen. And so therefore, a link to Apple Podcasts is entirely useless to me. Um, so I thought to myself, right, we will make something that automatically goes off and finds links on Apple on Google and on Spotify. And at the very least, that's going to be a helpful place to link people to. Um, and that tool has sort of slowly grown so that you can actually see how things work and uh, and uh, check your, your uh, uh, you know, the information on your podcast and the information on other people's as well. I find that an incredibly useful function of your site. In fact, when I was starting to produce this podcast last year, I discovered all these other places where it should be listed because you thankfully have all the icons for different sites and it just amazed me number of different apps and platforms there are where your podcast would go. Um, just a final point on the discoverability. So you actually reported this week that IMDB is starting to list podcasts and, in fact, Podchaser claim they want to be the IMDB of podcasting. And I think what Podchaser is trying to do is, yes, they take the feed from Apple, but where I like what they're doing is they allow you to give credit to guests. So when this show is published, uh, James Cridlin will have been a guest on my show. You can then see where else he's been. And that goes, oh, I actually like what he had to say. Where else has he been? And I think they're probably the only site that I've seen that's doing that really well. But I think discoverability isn't just about shows. It's about genres. It's about people you like listening to. Um, but, you know, is, is IMDb themselves a threat to the pod chasers of this world, do you think? Uh, I mean, in, in its current incarnation, absolutely not. Uh, I mean, apart from anything else, I, IMDb isn't even asking you what your RSS feed is. So <laughs> so from that point of view, that's not necessarily going to work. Um, but, uh, you know, IMDb is owned by Amazon, and Amazon, um, by all accounts, are really interested in getting into the podcast space as well. They have a lot of audio consumption devices called Alexa speakers, um, and clearly they would like to have their, um, you know, access on those speakers to podcasts um, uh, as well as live radio. So one would assume that they are spending uh, a fair amount of time in actually um, bringing their own podcast uh, directory, um, you know, to actually appear, because uh, that would kind of make sense, wouldn't it? Uh, and certainly, you know, the conversations I'm having with um, quite a few people seems to show that Apple, that sorry, that Amazon are making some, you know, real in, uh, real inroads into this. Um, so that should be interesting. Is IMDb, because it's owned by Amazon, a thing that is helping Amazon produce a directory? I certainly hope not, having sat down and uh, tried the the perplexing, um, <laughs> you know, way of actually getting a podcast into their service at the moment. I'm now listed as a TV series for some reason. <laughs> I've got no idea why, but still. So, um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, it should be really interesting. And again, you know, Pod, Podchaser is interesting in that they are um, take, uh, keeping a proprietary list of all of the guests and hosts and creator credits for podcasts. Um, great for Podchaser because that's obviously a piece of data that they should be uh, holding. So's Apple as well. So if you go on some of the bigger uh, shows, um, some of the more fancy shows, uh, again, you'll you'll actually see a, a, an image at the bottom of, of, you know, Joe Rogan and of Elon Musk, and you can click on Elon Musk and find out what else he's actually done. 
Um, so, you know, Apple are doing that, but they're not sharing any of that data with, uh, with uh, anybody else. I say they're doing it for the big shows. They're doing it for, for, for the big shows and for mine, which is uh, hilarious. So I'm not quite sure what I've done there. But anyway, so if you go to the bottom of a pod news uh, podcast, then you'll see a little grinning picture of me um, that probably links nowhere, but still, there we are. Measurement and monetization. So where do you see the importance of measurement? There are platforms like PodTrack and Chartable, which I use. And how important is third-party verification like IAB for, uh, I suppose, uh, advertisers wanting to see whether this particular podcast is worth sponsoring? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I think when we were back uh, working on the internet in the late 1990s, um, then people were talking about hits and they were saying how many hits their website had had. And a hit is just a server you know, a server log line. Um, so if you if your if your home page had ten images on it, then every time somebody visited your your website, that was eleven hits. So a hit was a p- completely pointless number, but nevertheless, it was large and people claimed it. Um, and I think that's where up until recently podcasting was in that we were giving out uh, download figures, but actually what we were talking about downloads wasn't necessarily the right thing we were talking about you know the uh, the way that uh, some podcast apps for example would download an hour long uh, podcast would be to download chunks uh, of it that would last for about 20 seconds each so 20 seconds you know every 20 seconds for an hour well that's quite a lot and if you're going to count those as separate downloads then you know you're you're talking about 3 400 downloads instead of one which would which would have been the correct uh, answer so you know uh, making sure that if if somebody is talking about a download if somebody is talking about a listener or a unique device making sure that um that everybody is talking about the same thing is a really important um you, you know is a really important plan um and that's really where the IAB came uh, came on board. So the IAB is the Internet Advertising Bureau, uh, and this was the U.S. Internet Advertising Bureau. By the way, I don't think the U.K. one has actually signed on to this yet, although the the Australian IAB has. Um, but uh, the IAB has a standard now of what they call a download and a standard of what they call a unique device. And there are um, a few podcast hosts, around nine or 10 of them, who are now certified through the IAB. So if you switch from Libsyn to Chartable, for example, then the download numbers that you see in the dashboard should be the same because they should be worked out in, in the same way. And they'll be roughly similar. Um, and I think that's you know hugely important. Um, there are additionally other services like PodTrack and Chartable um, and uh, Triton run run one as well, which is more of a sort of a ranker. Um, so it shows you how you're doing in comparison to other people, and that's very helpful. Um, what uh, Chartable and Pod sites are also doing is they're doing attribution. So the idea there is I listen to a podcast that has an ad in it for um, Nike shoes, for example, and then I go to the Nike website and I buy a pair of these fancy shoes, um, the systems should theoretically be able to work out that I'd heard the ad and I came to the website and bought those shoes and, and attribute that purchase back to the podcaster uh, where the Nike ad was on. Um, 
And so that's uh, very fancy and very clever and a bit scary. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly that's what some advertisers want. I think uh, other advertisers are potentially a little bit more enlightened and don't necessarily want that kind of information because it's not actually that helpful. But nevertheless, you know, all of that sort of attribution stuff is beginning to be, you know, really interesting. But, you know, the, the very first step of being able to say, this is a download and I am having 2,000 of those per episode, um, that's a very helpful start. Uh, and so the IAB, you know, with their work on um, on certification, on ve- on verifying people's numbers is actually a really helpful thing. So in terms of monetization, I mean, you've worked in radio, so you know that it's very hard with a, an audio medium to, to, to advertise. Either you say at the top of the show, this show is brought to you by, or you annoyingly have in the middle a break and an, a non-contextual ad pops up. Um, is, is this sustainable? And, and where do you see monetization beyond you know, straight advertising? I mean, I think you can do an awful lot with audio advertising. And uh, what I like about what you can do with podcasting, particularly if you're listening to podcasting on a streaming platform, which is um, Spotify, or it could be Google Podcasts, or indeed, actually quite a lot of Apple as well, is that you can begin to do clever, targeted advertising based on roughly where you are, uh, what the weather's like, what device you have, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So um, you can actually have an ad for Starbucks that actually talks about um, you know, uh, um, would you like to come in from the rain and warm up with a beautiful, you know, coffee from such and such, uh, if it's a cold, wet, horrible day, or if it's a lovely, warm, sunny day, then the ad might be for, you know, for an iced coffee or something. So you can begin to do some quite clever stuff like that, which doesn't really, um, which doesn't really get into into any problems from a privacy point of view because all it's really using is is a vague location of where you are in terms of a city uh, and the device that you're using. Um, you know, so you can begin to do some quite crafty things with that. I think what most podcasters are understanding is that there are lots of different ways of monetizing your show. And one way of monetizing your show, yes, might be slapping a 30 second ad about double glazing at the front of it. Um, a different way of monetizing your show um, is for the uh, podcast host to actually be talking about a specific product uh, because typically that seems to work rather better uh, and certainly in my old radio world has worked rather rather better there as well. Um, but you can also then see that uh, other people are getting involved in podcasting purely because it's actually it's a great way to um, to uh, make them uh, really obvious that they are stars that they understand what they're talking about that they are particular subject matter experts you know so actually that is that is probably enough for quite a few people other people are talking about doing live uh, gigs and stuff like that so when when the theaters reopen um, then you'll notice there are quite a few podcasts now doing on the world, uh, you know, on the road tours, uh, which is uh, really cool. So, you know, lots of different ways. And I think if we if we're not careful, we look at an annoying 30 second um, ad of somebody shouting at you about double glazing as being the only way that you can make money out of out of shows. And I don't necessarily think that that's the case. I think there's so many other ways. Uh, and that's, you know, good, good news, I think, for for all of us who are in the, in this uh, industry. 
yeah, dynamic insertion is probably the way to go. Before we close, I wanted to just cover the issue of B2B and B2B podcasting. I've worked in the B2B space for quite some time. So corporate podcasting, where do you see it heading? And are there companies that are doing it well? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, I mean, there are two definitions of corporate podcasts. So one of them is a uh, is a uh, podcast that a company is doing to be consumed by the public as well. So Trader Joe's being the obvious example there. American Airlines runs uh, a podcast which it's really aimed at their employees, but it's open to anybody. So if you're a fan of American Airlines, if such a thing exists, which I seriously doubt, having flown on them once, uh, then you can go and have a listen to that particular uh, show, and uh, you know, and that's a really smart uh, move. So there are quite a few of those um, uh, going on. Um, I think, you know, the interesting uh, part is now having private corporate uh, podcasts. So um, shows which are specifically for employees. Um, if you are a, you know, a large d- disparate workforce, actually being able to hear from the bosses in their, in, in uh, you know, head office two, 200 miles away or 2000 miles away um, is probably a useful thing. Um, and you know, and we're certainly seeing more of those going on, um, and uh, more launches uh, from podcast companies around the technology to actually help that. Um, and uh, you know, it, it's another great way. I think. I think you know, as we move into a world where we're hopefully less likely to be doing the daily commute into work, we're hopefully less likely to be spending money in these ridiculously over you know, over-equipped offices in the, in the center of town that everybody has to get to and then everybody has to get back again at the end of the, of, of the day. If we can get rid of all of that stuff and do far more homeworking, far more remote working, then uh, having good ways of, of communicating to your employees is probably an important thing. And podcasting is clearly part of that, as well, of course, as 4 million emails. So the $64 million question, what is the future of podcasting? Well, I think more slow and steady growth is, I think, uh, the main uh, future, which I think is uh, is a good future and a good place for us to be. Um, my hope is that we see a bit more of a mix of uh, large names uh, in this uh, space. So good luck, Google. Good luck, Amazon, if you're really getting into it. And good luck, I guess, Spotify. Um, so, uh, you know, so my hope is that we end up seeing that. But, uh, you know, one of the things that we do know is that uh, human beings crave other voices, other human beings to connect with. And that's what podcasting offers. It offers that shared experience with a human connection. The podcasting and radio as a as a wider uh, whole uh, offers so well and offers so much better than uh, Facebook or Twitter or anything else because you can actually hear what the person sounds like. So the future, I think, for podcasting is tremendously bright. Okay, quick fire round. Uh, one sentence answer, please. Favorite podcast? The Bugle, which is a satirical news show from the UK, but has other people in it as well. It's very good. The app you use to listen to podcasts? Is Google Podcasts. Apple or Spotify? Google Podcasts. Favourite length of podcast in minutes? Uh, what's your favourite What's your favorite film and how long is it? Okay, let's, let's just expand this for a moment. So 
if you're going on a walk, the podcast length is probably 30 to 40 minutes. You're in a car, it, it differs. You're having a shower, whatever. Um, okay, you clearly don't have a, a preference. But people keep asking this, and I suppose advertisers are, well, what's the, what's the right length? Which How long are the shows that we sponsor? I mean, we've been recording for 43 minutes. Will people listen to all of this? There is a radio uh, consultant called Valerie Geller who, who, who answers this brilliantly, and she says, there is no such thing as too long, only too boring. Uh, which I think is a great answer. My answer is actually a podcast should be as as long as it needs to be, but not a second longer. So if you're making a podcast, make sure that every single minute matters because that's massively important. If you've got fluff, if you've got, um, you know, if you've got crappy answers or crappy questions, and then edit them out. That's the beauty of podcasting is, is that it's not live. So you can actually post produce and make something sound as brilliant as it can do. Final quickfire question. What's the last podcast you listened to? The last podcast that I listened to, well, it was The Bugle, um, but the last podcast I listened to before that was a podcast called The Free Noter. And The Free Noter is a, it's a podcast aimed at people who are keynote speakers. And I think that um, very eloquently shows off the real benefit of podcasting in that you can have a really niche audience of people who do keynote speaking at conferences, um, and you can still make a great podcast for those people as well. I must look that up as a keynote speaker. I'll put the link in the show notes. Now, as this is the Practical Futures podcast, what are three things that our listeners can be doing this week to either get into podcasting or enhance their own podcasting experience? Three things. Well, I think uh, number one would be obviously to subscribe to Pod News. It's free. It's at podnews.net. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> you kind of you kind of have to. Um, so that would obviously be one of them. I mean, I think I I am always um, very surprised by how many people get into podcasting or start thinking about getting into podcasting without listening to many of them. Um, so please listen to as many as you possibly can, because you'll very quickly learn what works and what doesn't. Um, and that's a tremendous, you know, step, um, you know, copy the bits that work from the podcast that you love. Don't, uh, don't copy the bits that don't work. Um, and you're pretty well onto a, onto a winner there. And I also think learning how to edit is a really helpful thing. Learning how to edit audio is a really helpful thing. You may be jumping to use Audacity because it's a free piece of software and it's available for download. It is probably the worst tool that you can possibly use to edit podcasts. It's an audio editor where if you make a mistake, you're stuck with it because you know you can't grab a little bit from a particular interview that you got rid of earlier and blah, blah, blah. You should be using a basically anything else. But uh, if you're going to take it seriously, use an audio editor called Hindenburg, which has a free trial. And that is a much simpler, much more straightforward, but much better way of editing a good long chunk of uh, speech. Great tip. So I actually use Adobe Audition only because I've been using Premiere Pro for years for video and it's got a similar look and feel. But again, I pay for that product because it just works and it's, uh, it's really easy to move things around. And I think, you know, my answer would be, you know, Audition is great. Um, Audition is a is an expensive piece of uh, software, but if it works for you, it, it works 
Audition is a music editor, and that means that it's very good at doing podcasts, but that also means it's got way too much stuff in it. Whereas Hindenburg Journalist Pro, which is the one that I use, is a podcast editor and a news report editor. So journalists use it. So they're not polishing stuff. They're just making it sound good, really quick at editing. It's really quick at, you know, fades in and fades out and stuff. And it's uh, really good. So if you are learning for the first time, my advice would be to learn a podcast editor, not to learn a music editor, because there's so much more that you needn't worry about in, you know, Adobe or in Reaper or in any of those other services. Great tips and great practical tips. Thank you. Now, I think I know the answer to this question, but how can people find out more about you and your work? If you're serious about podcasting, then go and subscribe to PodNews. It's at uh, podnews.net. You can be joining 13,700 people who are getting that email every single day. And you will also find me on the internet at james.cridland.net. James, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, Great, insightful commentary. Please stay safe. Thanks so much for asking me. Thank you for listening to the Practical Futurist podcast. You can find all of our previous shows at futurist.london. And if you like what you've heard on the show, please consider subscribing via your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. You can find out more about Andrew and how he helps corporates navigate a disruptive digital world with keynote speeches and C-suite workshops at futurist.london. Until next time, this has been the Practical Futurist Podcast.